When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to do something snazzy. What do you want to do that's snazzy? Jazz hands? Jazz hands. I wish you could see that. <laughs> Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Welcome to February. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on making guests comfortable when the guest room may not be, whether or not a server was right in regards to a patron's fork choice, not reciprocating gifts throughout the year, what's the time limit on no spoilers, please, the issue of your welcome revisited, and how to indicate vendor dress codes on your invitations. All that plus a postscript segment on wedding attendance coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. hey <laughs> So the question is, are you here by yourself or are we here together? <laughs> Wait, I feel like we're in the future, but not... Is but it possible yes, to be two places maybe, at the same time? I don't know. Dan's actually right now at this very moment that you're listening to this podcast in? I am probably traveling somewhere between New Delhi and Agra. Okay, so so this is a travel day for you. We've been in Delhi for a couple days. Very cool. Uh, Pooja's family in Delhi, and then we'll be transitioning to Agra, which is where you launch from to see the Taj Mahal. And are you with your parents at this point on the trip, or are you guys on your own? Yep. First couple weeks are in Rajasthan and in northwest India, and we're with touring that entire time with my parents. Okay. And the real idea there is for the first about week, week and a half, we're going to be visiting a bunch of Pooja's family. So okay. before the next podcast, airs. We'll have transferred. We'll just spend about a half a day at the Taj Mahal seeing it. Great place to start a honeymoon trip. It was a palace built out of love. <laughs> when I learn more of the story, I will tell it upon my return. <laughs> One of the wonders of the world and, and, and inspired by love. And we'll move from there to Jaipur. And Very cool. that's where Pooja's family is really from from. And we've got four full days in Jaipur. And the next time that we talk, I think we'll be um, either transitioning via night train out of Jaipur, and um, I'll give a little bit more detail about our following destination when we air next. And then in March, <laughs> we'll get to actually hear what happened. Exactly. <laughs> It'll be a whole spring of Dan's travels. But I'll tell you, just to wrap it up, they call this the first part of our trip, the Golden Triangle. Awesome. And it's where you're, you're meant to go for your first sightseeing tour of India. Also happens to be where Pooja's family's from. That's so cool. Yeah. As I started looking at the guidebooks and I started to say, okay, so what exactly is it that I'm doing again yeah, in yeah, this yeah. coming trip? And I said, oh, I'm doing the trip that everyone recommends is the first trip that you do to 
to India. So nice. that part's kind of fun also. I've been steam cleaning my carpets at home. <laughs> just if anyone wants to know what our lives are like. Not something I normally do either. Just, you know, wanted to freshen things up in the home, get it ready for, for like my roommate and I have been talking about how we really want to start inviting more people over. And our, our house just has so much stuff in it. Mostly my stuff. I've been trying to get rid of it and we've been trying to clean it up. And after all the renovations were done, we're like now ready to It'll entertain again. Make a winter indoors more fun. Exactly. When you can have people over cook some yummy food, play some card games, watch some good movies. I'm digging it. But, you know, part of being a good host is making sure that your space is something that people would want to spend time in. So trying to get better at that. Lay the groundwork. Got it. How about we get to some questions? Let's. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Our first question today has to do with guests, those guests you might be getting ready for. And it's titled, Guests Have No Fear. I um, just want to make a slight disclaimer in this episode that I am getting increasingly bad at titling our questions. And they get worse and worse as this one goes on. So they're not clever anymore. Is it not bad like, good or no? no like just bad, bad, bad. Just like bad, bad. Guests have no fear. I mean, what the heck is that? I think you do a good job. <laughs> You're so encouraging. Dear Lizzie and Dan. My husband and I have just, in the past year, bought our first home. Big congratulations. Yay! As expected, buying your first home can come with a lot of hidden expenses, a fix here, a fix there, that sort of thing. We have repaired all of the issues that could potentially lead to bigger problems down the road, but we've left the smaller things like a fussy, spattering kitchen faucet and a non-existent water pressure in the guest bathroom shower to become future projects that we need to save for. Our problem lies in the awkward guest conundrum of how to approach the little quirks in our home. I try to apologize for the inconvenience, explaining that these issues will be resolved as soon as we can and offer alternatives. When unable to use the guest shower, I offer the remaining bathroom, the master bath, to all guests who need to use it. Most of our guests get extremely awkward about this situation, feeling like they are invading our bedroom and forgo showers during short visits. I'm completely embarrassed by this issue and have no idea how to deflect from this awkwardness. How do you handle issues in your home that you, yourself, learn to manage, but guests find troublesome? A leaky faucet, a broken fan, lack of furniture, etc. If your home is comfortable, warm, and clean, is that enough to make guests feel welcome? Do I warn every guest of every potential problem when they visit? Any help would be much appreciated. Thank you. With warmest regards, Samantha. Samantha, I totally feel your pain. Dan does too. We've both had homes. Nodding vigorously. Yeah, exactly. Both homeowners, both had homes that have had trouble. Um, Fixer-upper homeowners. <laughs> Fixer-upper homeowners, yeah. And I had a teeny tiny bathroom. You know, the renovation I just did on my house allowed me to now have a second bath upstairs. That has, so now we have two showers in my house, which I never had before. So before that, having roommates, I would have to explain to guests, hey, I need to explain my roommate's schedule to you so that you know, like, 7 to 8 a.m., she has use of the shower because she gets up somewhere in between there or he gets up, you know, whatever it was. I just had to let them know because the roommate has the priority, but the guest is my guest. And so, you know, there there are these dances and these awkward things. I think just cutting right to the chase to answer your question, your guest shower, if you don't think it's good enough for a guest to be using, then I would just tell them it's not working properly right now. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, so I would love for you to use my shower. Make sure that your bathroom and your bedroom are both guest friendly. Not that they're going to be in your bedroom, but they're going to be walking through to get to your shower. And definitely then encourage them like, oh, 
oh, Jim and I were going to shower at 10 o'clock. Do you want to go before or after us? Or, you know, maybe you don't state your time. Instead, you say, hey, when would you like to shower? Or, you know, want to make sure the bathroom's available to you? That sort of thing. Just that. Return to that invite a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, return to the <laughs> invite. Encouraging language. It's no big deal. Just make it simple. Really encourage your guests to use that shower. And I think one of the keys to making guests feel comfortable is to not put down your own home so much. Oh, my I'm gosh. I'm so embarrassed this. about yep. this. And, oh, it's not good enough. That immediately just it kind of puts the guest in a place of feeling like it's not that I don't want to touch anything because it doesn't work. But it's like I just feel like you're not comfortable in your home. So I don't feel comfortable in your home. And every house is going to have a to do list. Oh! There is going to be a to-do list, and the first thing that you present your guests with when they walk through your door doesn't need to be your homeowner to-do list. And as a new homeowner, it it can seem like that's the center of the issue. Totally. You asked such a great question. If your home is comfortable, warm, and clean, is that enough to make guests feel welcome? And I really think it is. That's where you want to keep the focus on your gracious welcome, on that home environment that, that is the part of the house that you love and appreciate and is why you put up with those little things. And as long as it's warm and clean and you make it seem like a place you're comfortable in, your guests 90% of the time are going to be comfortable too. You ask straight out, do you have to warn the guests of every potential problem? No, you don't. Warn them of the things that might affect them. Do not warn them of things that they might never encounter. I'm not going to treat every guest the same. Good point. When Pooja's parents come for a first visit, we spent about four days trying to dial as many of those little things in as we possibly could so that the list of things that we were required to share because they were material and mattered was as small as humanly possible. But what happened when a college friend came to visit? When a good college friend comes up and visits, the, the, the list of explanation might be a little longer, but I give it sooner. Before someone leaves their comfortable apartment in New York to think they're going to come for a ski weekend in Vermont, I let them know it's going to be a little rough and rustic. It's not a five-star condo at the ski area with a ski lift in the front yard. Right. There's a footbridge to get to the house. Like, exactly. It's a little different. And a leaky faucet and an external wall that has a lot of plumbing in it, and it freezes when it gets minus 10 below. Right. (laughs) Which it might be this weekend. You know, things like that are okay to talk about. But you, yeah, you don't want your house to seem like it has warning and caution signs all over the place. So keep it simple. Keep it clean. Keep it friendly. And you be the warm and gracious inviting host. Make sure that your guests feel that coming from you. And I think you're going to do great with your next visit. I titled our next (laughs) skewered for fork usage. Dan apparently likes it. All right. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, I have a classic, if somewhat trivial, etiquette question for you. The other night at a fairly swanky restaurant, I ordered a shared appetizer and a salad. We ate the appetizer first, and I gave serious thought as to which fork I would use. The restaurant was fairly swanky, but not so swanky as to provide only the required utensils per course. In the end, I decided to work from the outside in. That's one of our classic tips. Using my salad fork for the appetizer and then intending to use my entree fork for the salad, since that was my main course. Having given it thought and determined what I thought was the correct approach, I was mildly peeved when the waiter removed my entree fork and replaced it with a second salad fork before delivering the salad. I was so sure I had made the right decision, so I leave it to the Emily Post Institute and Awesome Etiquette to resolve my petty-petty dilemma. Was a waiter right to chasten me for my fork selection? Thank you for the podcast, Megan in Seattle. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. 
There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. I love that question. Megan, thank you. Classic. <laughs> utensils. It's been a while since we've talked utensils. <laughs> and this being an etiquette podcast, it's, we should talk utensils. it's good to get back here every once in a while. I love restaurants that handle service well. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I think that the situation that you had at a barely swanky restaurant was service that was handled relatively well. And I don't think you should feel chastened at all. In fact, the tack that I would take here is to appreciate the quality of service where they care enough to want to get you the right fork. You, you absolutely approached this in the, the correct from a traditional etiquette standpoint uh, approach that if you're presented with a table setting and you have a, a series of courses that are served, you do, you work your way from the outside in. And the the exception to that rule is that if there's a particular utensil that's appropriate for a certain course or necessary for a certain course, it will be provided. So if you need a clamp for your escargot, they're going to bring it out with the escargot. It might or might not, probably won't be set on the table, but they're going to bring you anything you need to get through a certain course. So you work your way from the outside in that salad fork or that appetizer fork on the outside is absolutely the appropriate choice for that first course. When you've ordered the salad for your main course, and they bring out your salad, they're thinking of themselves as providing the appropriate utensil for that course. So they're swapping out your entree fork for a salad fork, which in their mind is paired with that particular meal. That is not chastening you for using the wrong fork. That was, in fact, perfect service because they want to be sure that you get a utensil that's going to work for the particular food that you've been served. If you wanted to keep your entree fork for some reason, maybe it's bigger and you want to make bigger salad bites <laughs> with it, you can always ask to keep it. This is not a fraud or difficult question. Mm -hmm. If you would prefer an entree fork for your entree salad, 
ask for it, they will provide it for you in a heartbeat. It or will be their pleasure. When they go to switch it, oh, no, I'm all set. But thank you so much for thinking of it. Uh-huh. And I also think that Megan had no way of knowing that the restaurant was going to do that. So I think she was very right to proceed as she had, where she would be using that entree fork for her entree meal. And that, you know, I'm down with it. Was down in New York over the holiday. And one of the things I love about visiting the city is the level of service that notches up when you're eating at a restaurant that takes some pride in its service. And I found myself really excited when I was getting fresh forks after fresh salad courses and an actual salad knife, which is difficult to even find in flatware sets these days. They don't make them in American standard flatware sets anymore. You do not have an appetizer knife, a salad knife. It doesn't exist. We're, we're, I'm when, so sad. When we... I'm, when? When we... When we release the Emily Post line of flatware that you can get at your local department store, it will have a salad knife. And, and it's one of the things that, that we recognize as there being a, a place for in our marketplace. We hope that helps, Skewered. Thanks for bringing us back to the table. I appreciate it. I know my cousin does, too. This question's titled, If You Don't Celebrate, Should You Participate? It begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, My question is from the holidays. My boyfriend does not celebrate Christmas, but we've been together long enough that my family often includes small gifts for him when they send holiday presents to me. This happens on Easter and Thanksgiving as well. My family has a lot of great traditions. He sends an honest, heartfelt thank you note for each gift. He said he feels bad, though, that he doesn't send them gifts for the holidays, though it's a bit hard to predict who will send gifts until they arrive. Although they know he doesn't celebrate Christmas and it's not necessarily within his financial means right now. I reassured him that a heartfelt thank you note is the right response or a phone call for exceptionally generous gifts. But now I'm doubting myself. Is there a certain point where it's rude to not send gifts in return? We're not married, so I sort of thought he was off the hook for family traditions until he's a long-term official member of the family. Thanks for your help. Sincerely, an Awesome Etiquette fan. Oh, Awesome Etiquette fan. I like where you're thinking on this one. And I find this question really interesting because of two factors. One, yeah, he's not a longtime permanent, you know, legally established member of the family. (laughs) That is what marriage does. You know, it does establish you got to go through courts to get out of it. Right? Find yourself in the cousin gift pool. It's a little more. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing. Like our family would make an allowance if there was a committed relationship where the couple was saying we don't want to get married, but we are partners for life. I would think we would include that person in the cousin pool. Absent such a declaration. Absent such a declaration. We always said, no, until you're engaged or until you're married, you're not in the cousin swap. And so that's one interesting aspect of this. But the second one to me is that he does not celebrate Christmas. And I don't know if our Awesome Etiquette fan means that as he doesn't want to participate in it at all, doesn't agree with it for some reason, whether it be the consumer aspect, whether it be that it's not his religion. I'm not sure. But he doesn't celebrate it. And I've always thought that it's really nice that if I had a member of my family from another culture that doesn't celebrate Christmas, that my family would absolutely include them in it and invite them to be included in it. I think if they did not wish to be, if it really made them uncomfortable, that that would be a conversation we would have and it would just kind of be understood that, you know, maybe that's just a holiday I spend just with my immediate family again. And, you know, my husband goes off and and does his own thing for the day, takes a personal day or something like that. And that would be a a reasonable expectation. But it it sounds like he does appreciate the gifts that get sent to him and he, he welcomes them. It's not like he's saying, no, don't do that. I want to make it clear I'm also not stating that by not doing that, he's not then saying, 
I want the, you know what I mean? He's not like being greedy. He's not. I really think it's wonderful that your family sends him these gifts on Christmas Easter. But I kind of agree with where you guys have been at so far. I don't think he necessarily needs to send gifts in return. If he wants to participate, if he becomes a long a long term legally bound member of this family, then I would think maybe you might consider sending a group gift to the family. You did state that right now it's not in his financial means. So I don't think it's something he has to push. It's not a holiday he celebrates. It's not within his budget. He sends a thank you note. I think you guys are in great stead right now. I agree. The only thing that I, jumps out at me is that people don't just give gifts to get a gift back. Yes! That, that it's really for your family, um, the heart of the season and the spirit of generosity to, to want to include someone and to want to uh, participate and share their, their experience of this holiday in every way they know how, and this is a big part of it for them. Yeah. And I'm sure that, that in that spirit, they don't expect that there's a gift that comes back the other way. Yeah, and... You know, you can always bring the issue up later and he can always, if he wants to, he could start sending gifts at any point in time. But, you know, I think you guys have it down right now and you shouldn't feel bad about the way you're operating. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. So, again, with the theme of bad titles, this one, (laughs) I think it worse as the show gets on. This one is two totally different questions, both good. Um, I actually really liked both of these questions, which is why I didn't save one for a future show. They were short, sweet, and awesome. So we've included both of them from Brian. Movie spoilers. I'm getting tired of friends saying things like no spoilers about a movie they saw, even though a movie has been out for more than a month. I personally think if someone hasn't seen a movie that's been out for a month, people should be able to talk about the movie. It's kind of more of a statement, but it brings up a great issue. (laughs) This one came up on our Twitter feed. Someone was asking about it, I think, with the release of the biggest movie of all time. Movies have re-entered the public consciousness and um, respect for talking about movies. All of a sudden important to people who aren't usually big movie fans or moviegoers. I love movies. I don't think all movies are created equal. I don't think. I I I think some movies you treat as if you could ruin them forever. And I'm thinking of things like The Blair Witch Project or The Crying Game or movies that have a major turn or a major hook. Yeah. And I think there are other movies that that do sort of cross out of that territory. At some point, they become part of the general consciousness and, and something that you can talk about without always alerting. So speaking of Star Wars, do you think that – like I'm not going to talk about the new Star Wars. No spoilers. <laughs> Just kidding. But the, like back in <laughs> back when the first round of three came out, like – well, four, five, and six came out like to find out that like vader's luke's father i mean that must have been just like a mind-blowing moment and yes. that must have been one of those spoilers yeah, totally no. and, and sort of a decent respect for <clears throat> okay for so other not all people's are, yeah. pleasure yeah makes it a courtesy not to do that and so like we're not going to ruin train wreck if we tell you something about it or the, the next like you know will ferrell movie but not all movies are created equal, so I would treat them a little bit differently yeah. also. In terms of spoilers, yeah. Yep. I don't think that uh, about a month is a bad window of time to think about okay. for something having been out before you might start to allow yourself to talk about it more yeah. freely. My thing is that when I'm talking with people about movies, I always ask, just like I do with games, as everybody now knows, have you seen it yet? 
Mm-hmm. Have you seen it yet? And if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to tell you if it was awesome or not awesome. And I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm probably going to go find someone else at the party to talk about the movie with. I like that courtesy. That's a really good way to think about it, that yeah. you just take care with yourself and your personal interactions. Yeah. It's making me think that this is some behavior that's come from our our information age, our online environment, yeah. that because so many people are talking about so many things in that space, it really is a courtesy there where it's not a one-on-one conversation where you can manage what someone yeah. hears yeah. based on who they are, that you have to put a, an audience selector at the top of the article. That's really what the no spoilers is all, is all about. It's yeah. saying, are you the right audience for what yeah. is about to be said here? And exactly. I think that's I think that's no, that, cool. that kind of audience selector information yeah. is really important when you're having a one on one conversation. You don't need it. And the point of etiquette here might be don't treat the person that you're interacting with like they're a general audience online that you can when you're having a discussion with someone instead of saying yeah. no spoilers, you could say, have you seen it yet? But and that's you, enough. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about like, you know, if the movie's been out for more than a month, do you think that I just have license to just start talking about it? Or do you think that I should still do that? Hey, have you seen it yet? And if you haven't seen it, then I can judge what we talk about. Maybe the the follow up question. Are yeah. you going to see it? Are you going to see it? Yeah. Do you <laughs> care? <laughs> exactly. You know, and, I never had to watch Titanic. A, everyone knows what's going to happen in the end. B, like, (laughs) that's like a really no spoilers. (laughs) Jeez Louise. (laughs) And then B, it's like everyone talked so much about that movie. I did not need to see it. So I've never seen Titanic. Leo would be so upset. I'm not really worried about his opinion (laughs) on that one. (laughs) Um, Bottom line, I think. What Dan and I are trying to say is gauge your audience and who you're talking to. And if you're talking to someone who's desperately wanted to see a movie and they haven't gotten the chance yet, yeah, don't talk about the movie in front of them. But after a certain period of time, you're right. You can just have general conversations about these wonderful tier one topics of conversation. Oh, right. So second question. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Two totally different questions. Both good. Our second one has to do with your welcome. How to respond to someone who is thanking you. I'm a minister. And when I get done preaching a sermon, I always get people saying, thank you for a good sermon. But replying back with your welcome or my pleasure feels a little off. Is there a good way to acknowledge your appreciation for their kind words? Brian, receiving thanks is more difficult for some people than it needs to be. And it sounds like it might be um, a little difficult for you. The best thing that I can do here is just say, you're welcome, (laughs) is a good place to start. You can always acknowledge the thanks by expanding on the you're welcome a little bit. You can say, like you say, my pleasure, but I was thinking of, you know, I, I work really hard on these sermons. I'm glad you appreciate them. That's an okay thing to say. Or my cousin Lizzie's laughing at me because my am, sample scripts are always so, so earnest and cheesy. No, but, I'm thinking like, that one almost sounded like a little, and, and don't kill me for saying this, please don't get it. Oh, it a little arrogant. I work so hard on that. Yes. like, But you know what I mean? Like, I do know. Okay. And, and that's what I think that um, our listener here is genuinely concerned about. They he don't want to sound, sound that way. So yeah. help, help him out. Help okay, him not okay. sound. So if someone came up to me and said, you know, oh, thank you for a good sermon, I would say, oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for participating and listening and and being here to hear it, you know. But I like getting the, oh, it was my pleasure. I'm so glad this one connected with you this week or something like that where you appreciate the fact that their experience of something you've provided you're doing the mutual admiration society thing, but yeah. get the you're welcome in there, too, because it recognizes that thanks. 
That is very good advice. <laughs> okay. Brian, I really hope that helps. I grew up with a pastor who took great pride that he wrote his sermon every week and never repeated one in the entire time that he was preaching. And I think that you can feel good about taking pride in your work and feel good about it being appreciated. Okay, Dan is technically reading this question to me, but I just have to acknowledge that it starts out with a first for us. And that is that quite typically questions around here, and you all know this if you've been longtime listeners, get addressed to Emily and Dan and and Lizzie spelled with a Y and Daniel. And this question begins, hi, Lizzie and Dave. And I just thank this listener so much. I'm sure it was like an autocorrect error or something like that. I don't think she thinks your name is Dave. But I loved it only because for once it was my name is spelled right and and perfect and Dan's name is Dave. I'll, I'll be Dave today. You'll be Dave today. Okay. And today, Lizzie and Dave will talk about dress code dilemmas. I have a question about my upcoming wedding. Our brunch reception will be at my family's country club and it has a very strict and traditional dress code. I fear that some of the current trends, like midriff-bearing formal dress cutouts, might violate the dress code, and I would hate for my guests to feel uncomfortable in any way. The club is polite and subtle about asking guests if they would like to borrow a tie or sweater, but I would prefer to avoid the situation entirely. I plan to indicate that the attire will be brunch cocktail for ladies and coat tie and slacks for men on the invitation, but I do not think this captures the halter tops, cutouts, and shorter dresses that I am concerned about. How could I share the details of the dress code with friends politely? Thank you so much and all the best as you finish your whirlwind of podcasts to tide listeners over until Dave returns from his honeymoon. Sincerely, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I think it's so great that you're concerned about this because you're trying to look out for your guests. And I love the fact that the club very politely offers people ways of being in dress code at the club. But I also really understand your perspective of not wanting your guests to even have to encounter that and trying to look out for their comfort levels. And at the same time, recognizing that fashion today can be much more revealing or might not live up to this club's standards. And I think it's really important that you communicate that to your guests. One thing I just want to note is that this is a wedding weekend that's going on, and the brunch is is the brunch the day after the wedding. And what is different is that it is an invitation for a brunch that you are issuing. It's not the invitation for the wedding, where we often try to say you keep everything off except for the actual invitation. So what I would do is a couple of things. Number one, my guess is that there's probably a wedding website. Most people have them nowadays. That's a really great place to have a section on the brunch, letting them know where it is, what the dress code is. Um, You can provide a link to the club site that has the dress code on it. Uh, You can also just list out explicitly what the dress code states. Spreading it word of mouth is definitely a great idea. But you could also include an insert that just says in more formal language than this, but a heads up about the dress code at the country club or just a little thing that says the dress code at the oh, let's go Caddyshack, Bushwoods Country Club is no, I don't know, no shoulders showing, no whatever it is, you know, it's um, shoulders must be covered, um, no midriff bearing, skirt and top combinations, that sort of thing. Just print that on a card and include it as an enclosure with that brunch invitation that, remember, goes out separately from the actual wedding invitation. All makes good sense to me. As I was listening to you yeah. talk, I was in and fishing for that language a little bit. How do I address these particular revealing issues? 
that that might also be a case where the word of mouth network will help you out a little bit. Absolutely. That just start to to talk to your close family about talking to their close family and friends and your close friends talking to their more extended friends and bridal parties. Bride and groom, talk to your friends who are the younger set that are more likely to wear this clothing, I would assume. Let them know. And you could bring it up in the context of, you know, usually we're starting to wind it down by the Sunday brunch, but this is going to be at the club and there's going to be one more dress code bar to hit. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And just letting people know that, giving them that much preparation might help. We also truly want you to know that that Dan is very good humored about Dave and and he loved it when he saw it too. He was like, "Oh yes, all right." Like it was just so you know, we are we are very quite happy. <laughs> but Elizabeth, we hope that you have a beautiful wedding, have a wonderful time and that all of the festivities are just exactly what you could have wished they would be. Best wishes, best wishes, best wishes. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. It's only common courtesy, Chuck. Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. Postscript has to do with wedding attendance, and here we are, believe it or not, at the very tippity top start of the wedding season. Well, here's basically what happened. So it's February, right? And what's been going on is that a lot of people, including our sound engineer, got engaged over Christmas, over the holidays, over the New Year. Maybe it wasn't for Christmas, but it was at the New Year. And so now that kind of word has probably spread a little bit, and I would imagine that your peers are starting to wonder if they're going to be in the bridal party or like that best friend from college. (laughs) I know, right? That best friend from college is is starting to call and ask questions and things like that. And I think I really wanted to talk to friends of engaged couples in this segment and focus on the idea of wedding attendance. So as your friends have gotten engaged, here are some things to think about. Number one, don't assume that you're going to be in the bridal party. It's really tough and it really is a hit to the ego, but it's important for you to know that you can't assume you're going to be in the bridal party. You know, weddings come in all shapes and sizes. They absolutely do. One of my friends, uh, Emily, she didn't have a bridal party and it was the first time I'd ever seen a wedding without a bridal party. I thought it was the best thing ever. I was like, that's amazing. And here I've got lots of girlfriends that, you know, should I ever get married? I am sure... If I had a bridal party, I would. I really like the idea of not having one. So don't assume that the bride and groom are going to have a bridal party. And also don't assume that friends are going to be included. Sometimes people have big families that they're very close to. And often family gets chosen over friends. And they might have a limited. They might say they want matching numbers. And therefore, it's just going to be brothers and sisters. Or it's just going to be a sister and two cousins and the groom and his three brothers. And, you know, it's... It's not up to you, so don't assume that just because you've talked about your weddings with this person their whole lives that you're going to be in that bridal party. 
This one is really tricky, and it's not exactly the easiest to deal with. But let's say you are invited to be someone's maid of honor or their groomsman or their best man or their bridesmaid. Before you commit, you need to ask, what are the expectations? And the best way to do that is to be very flattered by the ask. It's a lot like the world of dating. You know, I'm so flattered that you asked. Oh, that's it's a huge honor that you've asked me to do that. Do you mind if I just get some details and find out what what your hopes are for it so that I know I can commit both with time and finances? You take the moment to be excited. Oh, my gosh, that would be wonderful. Or, oh, I'm so honored that you've thought of me. And this is such an exciting time for you. And, oh, I love that you're, like, getting all the plans going and everything. Um, I do. I just I know how much of a commitment being a bridesmaid is. And I really want to make sure that I can honor it to its fullest. So do you just can we just talk a little bit about what's expected and everything so that I know ahead of time I've really got to be careful with my budget or my work schedule is insane. I only have so much. Yeah, Dan's got one. Dan's got one. How about I know weddings can be really different. What are you thinking about? Each, every wedding is so different. What are you thinking about? I, so I love that language. Weddings, yeah. yeah, no, totally. But having that conversation and giving yourself the space to commit when you're not in the moment of giddy excitement and feeling so honored, I think will really, really help. I love the way you're honoring that giddy excitement, though. Let them feel it. You got to do that. You got to do it. It's just like, well, and the bride is going to have to be dealing with a lot of that because people are like, oh, my gosh, don't you totally want a pink, purple and teal theme for your wedding? It'll look just like the Little Mermaid. And you're like, remember when you were five? You wanted that? It's not going to happen, but it would be so cool. All right. You do want to think about what traditionally are expenses for the wedding. And and truthfully, what it comes down to is that the, the bride and groom pay for the lodging for the wedding party. They don't necessarily purchase every single thing. If the bride is insisting that all the bridesmaids have updos and things like that, that's typically something that she should be paying for. Any Things that she completely insists on, she should pay for. But that being said, you have committed to buying a dress. You have committed to paying to get to wherever the wedding is. You are not obligated to host a shower. You are not even obligated to host a bachelorette party. You're often included or you're offered the chance to host them or you might organize them, that sort of thing. But it's not an obligation. And I think that's really important. And the final thought that I want to leave you with is how to be helpful. This is a crazy time for your friend. There, It is a really big deal. Dan can tell you. I can tell you because I've thought about it. I haven't been through it. But it's a really big deal to commit your life to someone. And as you handle all of the things that that commitment means, you do go through waves of being excited, being nervous, needing to control the moment because there's lots of things you're letting go of when you decide to commit to one person for the rest of your life. And that in and of itself can transfer over to needing a lot of control over how this moment in your life is then executed. <laughs> and so as a as a bridesmaid or a groomsman, I tell you, be as helpful and accommodating and listening as you can and understand that someone might snap at you. Get ready. And don't snap back. Enjoy the ride. Exactly. Understand that you've had probably a years-long friendship with this person and 
you might have some moments where they don't behave their best and be prepared for it. Or when one minute they're telling you they're scared to death and they don't know what to do. And the next minute it's they're so in love and they can't wait. And this is the best decision. Roll with it. Just roll with it. Be supportive. Be helpful. Always ask, is there anything I can do? You know, would you like me to contact the caterer? Would you like me to do this? Would you like me to do that? If they say no, we've got it covered. Don't worry about it. Everyone's wedding is going to be different. So just roll with it. Hopefully someone you know will be tying the knot soon and we'll all have an opportunity to put some of that excellent advice to work. But why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Look, maybe I can show you. Today's Etiquette Salute begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for your delightful and insightful podcast. I'm a fourth-year medical student and have been on the residency interview trail for the past month. In addition to formal interviews, I've been to countless pre- and post-interview events and feel you have given me the foundation to shine as I navigate the next step in my path to realizing my dream of becoming a doctor. I am also a new mother to a beautiful three-and-a-half-month-old who has accompanied me on countless trips throughout the Northeast for my interviews. I have been graced with the kindness of complete strangers as I lug my sweet baby and my many heavy and bulky accoutrement of motherhood from city to city. My salute is to the countless kind strangers without whom my travels would be significantly more strenuous. I cannot tell you how many people have gone out of their way to hold a door, help me unload my luggage, or even offer to rock my fussy baby at a rest stop while I finish an on-the-road meal. All too often, I hear stories of onlookers ignoring a struggling parent, and I have to say this has not been the case for me. I am so grateful to these people who could choose to ignore me, but instead have reached out to help a new mom who clearly is still figuring out the ropes. Sincerely, Alex and baby Ella. Alex, thank you for sharing that. And thank you to our whole audience and to the whole general population Mm -hmm. out there that's coming through for Alex. This is so the spirit of the etiquette salute. There is so much good that happens in this world, so much courtesy, so much kindness, so much caring. And it's our privilege to give it a little bit of a spotlight at the end of each show. So thank you, Alex and baby Ella. And good luck. Congratulations on the start of an amazing new career. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward? That's our show for today. Thank you so much for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there is no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments, and your suggestions. And of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the amazing Hans Buto. 